welcome to the Performance Rx Podcast, the ultimate destination for anyone who wants to perform better in the gym and live a better life outside it. Whether you're just starting your journey or you're a seasoned pro, this show covers a wide range of topics to help you reach your potential and live your best life. Each week on this podcast, I'll be bringing you expert interviews, personal stories, and actionable advice to inspire, educate, and empower you to reach your goals. So hit follow, grab your headphones, and get ready to take your health and performance to the next level. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Performance Arcs podcast. I'm your host, Bridget Maroney, and today we're taking a journey into the heart of what it means to live and breathe your sport and fitness journey. This isn't about playing a sport. It's about embodying it, pushing your limits, and overcoming barriers. In today's best of episode, I'm excited to present a curated selection of episodes that speak to the soul of dedicated fitness enthusiasts and athletes just like you. My first clip comes from episode 32 of the Performance Arcs podcast, a discussion on confidence building and owning your power with Hallie Stocks. If you're listening to this episode, it's a pretty safe bet that you faced challenges both physical and beyond. Hallie Stocks, a physical therapist turned coach, shares her journey of resilience and healing. From battling severe anorexia to conquering self-doubt, Hallie's story is a masterclass in thriving. Consider this episode your personal pep talk, exploring the power of growth mindset and the impact of taking control of your own health journey. Let Hallie remind you that you're more powerful than you think. Yeah. Well, I think a big part of it was just a mindset shift. I, you know, I always told myself that I lacked self-confidence so that I struggled with self-confidence, that it was hard for me. And because I told myself that all the time, it was my reality. It was what I believed. Um, so part of it was realizing that self-confidence is your belief in your abilities, your qualities, and your judgments. It's being, it's having assurance and trust and your ability to handle different situations. So for me, it was realizing that I could handle my emotions on the other side of an experience. Now, I think that there's a little bit of nuance when we come to self-confidence versus confidence. So confidence, like in a specific skill, takes competence. If you, I think it's Chris Williamson says that confidence without competence is self-delusion. So you can't just tell yourself that, tell yourself something that, that you have no evidence to back, that's, that's delusion. But at the same time, I kind of dealt with the opposite problem where I had competence, but I lacked competence. And that was because of a lack of self-belief. So learning to trust myself more, learning to trust my, in my abilities to handle a situation, learning to trust in my abilities and that I can get to a goal if I focus on it and I continue to try. Those are the things that led me to build my self-confidence. And then my confidence in specific skills comes from doing that skill and building the competence in that skill. So that means that it, well, that, that takes courage then to actually step into a specific task that you don't have competence in yet to build that competence. So there, and that, and that generates the confidence in that task specifically. So I think we sometimes get tied or we get confused between confidence and self-confidence, which is self-confidence is coming more from inside of you. I believe in myself to do this task that I will eventually become good at down the line, hopefully if I continue at it and that'll build confidence in that specific task. But my confidence in myself has more to do with my ability to handle my own emotions and my ability to to step into these other areas and to 
to take to be courageous. Yeah, it's interesting. The thing that kind of came up for me when I was like listening to you to, you know, describe all that, explain all of that is the phrase that got popularized, popularized uh, by Glennon Doyle is, you know, I can do hard things or you can do hard things, which when her book came out, like that was like, a you know, New York Times bestseller. And, and everyone, a lot of people that I know, they read that book, they love that book, that was like their mantra. And yet in my in my thought, in my observation, I was just like, okay, this is great to say, but are you actually going out and doing the hard things, right? To your points there, like, it's great to tell yourself these things, but until you actually step in to, you know, I guess the arena, <laughs> if you will, and do the hard things, like what, what are, how are you developing that further? Right. And I think that's the thing is it takes self-confidence to go do the thing because you have to believe in your ability to go do the thing. And then by going and doing the thing, you build the confidence in that thing. And that could be anything. It could be your job. It could be your relationships. It could be a sport. It can, it can be whatever that task is but it stems from having the confidence to go do the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing that you might fail and that's okay. If you're not failing, you are limiting yourself. You're leaving cards on the table. If you are not failing. You are not pushing yourself and you're not going to be really reaching your potential. So failing is a good thing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you're either, um, I forget like what the, the quote is. It's like, what is it? You're, I'm, I'm either winning or I'm learning or something like, or, or I'm either succeeding or I'm learning. Right. So it's like, yeah, not being afraid of a failure. And again, it's like, it's, it's exacerbated by social media because, you know, everyone, at least anyone who's put on, who's on social media, like they're subjecting themselves to, uh, different types of criticism and, 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 uh, you know, judgment or just even observation. And, and I don't mean criticism in like a negative way, but like anytime someone has a certain opinion about something, that's, that's a critique. Right. And so, um, I feel like a lot of people get themselves kind of, you know, they, they back themselves into this corner here where, you know, again, it's like until the, um, circumstances are perfect or, you know, they know that they won't fail, they're not going to try. And, and again, like, you know, as as you and I both know, like, you know, the failure is kind of like where the, the secret sauce is, because that's how you get better. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, if you're waiting for the perfect time, it, it's never going to be there. It, you're going to be waiting forever to, to guarantee that there's going to be a success with everything that you try. I mean, I think there's so many examples you can look back to like Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team or there's, you know, a million examples of these people who had massive failures before they succeeded. But it it's the consistency. It's the continuing to try and continuing to try and continuing to move and progress towards that goal that leads to success. It's not expecting success the first time you try. Now let's pivot to another inspiring episode that's all about leveling up your health and fitness game. This clip is from episode 28, Leveling Up with Amanda Ward, a certified primal health coach who takes us on a journey from struggle to healing. Battling gut and autoimmune issues, Amanda cracked the code on dietary oxalates, leading her to launch Primal Point health. This episode talks about nutrition, gut health, and finding the balance that fuels your potential. So whether you're a fitness enthusiast or an athlete aiming high, this episode is packed with insights to amp up your game. Well, kind of backing up just a little bit to your comment about the, the like the powders and stuff. So I think that we have a real problem or an, an unhealthy obsession with superfoods. And I think that we are overdoing it 
and we think that more is better and it just kind of gets perpetuated to where, you know, okay, I can't maybe go to the gym four times a week, but I can eat, drink, slam down these smoothies. And so that makes me healthier, right? Uh, not necessarily. And when you're talking about superfoods, I, I personally think that the supplements and the multivitamins um, fall into this category. I think that we are overdoing it on certain things and we're not asking questions. Um, and I think the multi definitely, um, fits into this category. I think that a lot of people aren't considering the long-term effect of things, um, putting them in their body. Cause it's, if it's something that you're taking every day or multiple times a day, you really want to make sure that, a, you need it. And then B, you know, you're using it and it's not harming you. So, and the supplement is like, that's a whole other can of worms as far as supplement quality and all that stuff. But when it comes down to like covering yourself for those deficiencies that you think that you have, well, I'm just going to take a multi and I'm good. Well, the, the nuance there is that, you know, your body your body wants the natural source. So your body doesn't, even the most advanced supplements, you're probably going to be peeing them out, honestly. So your body wants to get the real nutrition and the, from the real food. So you're probably wasting your money. Um, and then you might worst case scenario, be adding, you know, some icky ingredients into your, your tissues and your body that you don't really want to be building up long-term. So I, I like to ask the question because I'm a primal health coach, so I'm very ancestral based. And so I like to ask the question, okay, well, what, what, would our ancestors do? And I get all kinds of rebuttals to this and, and that's fine. I think questions are great and I definitely welcome them. Um, but I don't think that, you know, it's necessary in all cases. I think some gaps and some deficiencies are definitely there. And when you need help, you need help for sure. But the average American just taking a multi, not having blood work done, not really knowing what they're deficient in and not working with someone to help guide them through it, that can be a recipe for disaster. Um, we don't want to depend on supplements long-term anyway. We want to figure out like, what's the root cause? You know, why am I, you know, having this deficiency? So I think it's just a conversation that needs to be had and just don't make the assumption. And, um, you know, when you're talking about deficiencies, I am leveling up. I have to bring up the, the organ factor, the organ meat. So I don't know if you're down with organ meat. I don't know, you know, if your listeners are open to it, but it is, you know, I hate to be the, the, the corny person and say it, but it's nature's multivitamin. So I have been doing organ meat actually not that long. So I've been doing liver for probably about three years now. And then it took me a while to get on the train with like other organs, like kidney and heart, um, probably about a year now for me. But, um, when I first had liver, I was like, I felt amazing. And I was like, Oh my gosh, where has this been in my whole life? I feel amazing. So I think that that is feedback. Like that's like, okay, my body really enjoyed that. My body used that. And that made me feel good. So do you get that from your multi? I mean, maybe not, maybe, maybe not, but I think it's just worth asking the question, you know, what would our ancestors do? Cause we are so disconnected from 
from nature and our food system to the point where we don't even think about, you know, what's already kind of provided for us, like the organ meat example. So, so yeah, I think that part of leveling up is looking at, you know, and if you really just don't want to do organ meat, okay. I think that there's other options for sure, but I think that the nutrient factor there, you, you get nutrients and organ meat that you just don't get elsewhere. So. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. And, and I've brought this up in, in, you know, with other coaches and in uh, other episodes um, as well, but it's like, you bring it, you, you mentioned our, our ancestors there and, and, I, I I completely agree. I mean, even, you know, in modern day, like if you look at nomadic tribes, like they eat the whole animal, right? Like, and you bring up like this overuse and over obsession of like supplements, like collagen is always like the thing like, oh, you know, like you go to the, you go down the supplement aisle, you go down the beauty aisle and there's freaking collagen everywhere. And, you know, to your point, and again, this is maybe just an overgeneralization, but it's like, where do you think that collagen is coming from? Right? Like if you think about like, organs, connective tissues and, and, and things like that. Um, you know, and again, just kind of like acknowledging that these hunter gatherer tribes did and still do in, in the, you know, in the case of the, uh, tribes that are, that are still here, you know, active in, in other parts of the world, like they take the whole animal there and, you know, maybe they don't eat like every bit, but every part of it gets used. And, um, you know, the average individual, you don't need to pop an iron pill. You don't need to take a multivitamin, like eat some liver, you know, eat these things that like have these vitamins in them already. Right. Yeah. And just try it. Like going back to that very, the very beginning when we were talking about like just growing and experimenting um, just try it. If you never tried it, um, you can't knock it, right? So exactly. Now let's explore the exciting world of fasting and innovations that can optimize your health. In episode 22, intermittent fasting done right with Shark Tank entrepreneur and CEO of LifeStacks, Zach Schreier, Zach shares his personal journey towards fasting and creating products to enhance the fasting experience. We get into the benefits of fasting, the science behind it, and practical strategies for making fasting part of your daily routine. Sure. Well, I, I love that you mentioned empowerment. Um, that, that's definitely a, a, a key piece of the framework that we use for thinking about what we're doing with supplements and other lifestyle interventions. Um, it's also sort of how I view like being alive, actually. Like, um, you know, you have this resource, uh, which is like, you've got your time, you've got your body, you've got whatever sort of social capital and physical capital and monetary capital is available to you and your network and all that. Um, and then it's just like, how do you use that to get the outcomes that matter? Uh, I think it's really important to actually realize that, you know, while this endowment that we have is not in our control. So we didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't choose the body that resulted in type one diabetes or whatever it is. Um, uh, the actions that I take, you know, starting right now are, uh, under my control to some extent. Uh, so that, that's really the, that's the, that's the room we've got to play with. Like that's the, uh, the sort of value of being a decision maker and a thinker, um, is that you actually do get to shape your trajectory through the world. Uh, so yeah, I, I think, that, you know, I think over time, the type one diabetes has sort of become this source of, um, of empowerment for me. Uh, it's really just it's sort of put health front and center, um, which, you know, it, it, it's implicitly at the center of everything for everybody. Um, but making it explicit actually allows me to sort of act on that, um, uh, you know, maybe with a little more resolve than than most people tend to. Um, so yeah, I think that, that you're right that that has sort of catalyzed these different businesses. 
speaking of your businesses, let's kind of go back to, so you mentioned, you know, so again, you, you started with, with Quavos. Um, and that's what, how a lot of people may know you, but you're actually, as you mentioned in the beginning of this episode, you're, I guess it's launched now, Lifestacks, your current venture. We, yes. We launched. Yeah. We, we did a, um, so basically, uh, I'll talk about the product a little bit. Um, so uh, basically, uh, a couple of years back, we started looking into the supplement industry and just thinking about what sorts of things um, you know we could take that would add value to our days. And pretty quickly, we realized that supplement stacks uh, would would go farther than individual supplements. So stacks are just co- combinations. And part of the thinking there is that um, typically, if you're going to get a huge impact from one compound, it's going to be uh, fairly unsustainable. So think of you know think of this whole class of things like drugs. Um, Drugs basically shift the system in such a way that you can notice these pretty immediate impacts, um, and then there's a downregulation that happens, and then you, you end up being worse off for having for having uh, you know introduced this roller coaster of, of peak and valley, um, where you know be- better probably just to stay away and and not modulate the system that way because it, it's going to create these deficits in the long run. Um, with with supplements, if you're taking something that it has a huge uh, and noticeable you know impact on your performance um, or your mood probably there's going to be some sort of crash. So think of high-dose caffeine or think of uh, dopamine precursors, um, t- take an excess, uh, things like that. And so uh, basically our, our, our thesis is to combine these things in appropriate uh, dose ranges that are sustainable and repeatable over the long run and uh, basically synergistic combos that, that nudge you in the right direction. So you feel noticeably better, um, but in a way that's basically created by raising your baseline. So it's not like we're biasing the system pushing it above some threshold and you're noticing this huge uh, performance, um, you know, a spike and then dip. It's more like you're supporting all the systems that contribute to, to healthy performance. And because you're doing that in a way that's synergistic and holistic, then you get this uh, sort of uh, natural and um, natural performance boost that increases over time. So that was sort of the, that's, you know, how we came up with LifeStacks um, and how we started to, to formulate our products. And then we realized that um, most people don't want to add pills to their day. Uh, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna be a, a zealous supplement consumer right now, you're probably sourcing your own powders, weighing them out, doing your own research. And we realized that we wanted to basically invite more people to benefit from supplements without ha- them having to go through that sort of hassle of sourcing their own stuff and doing their own research. And uh, the, the easiest way to get people to um, you know adopt something like that is to offer it in delicious and intuitive formats. So our thinking was basically to take an energizing supplement stack and uh, add it to coffee. So we created a, an added coffee product that's MCT based um, that basically just cr- provides all the energy in a sustainable way. Um, and then the last piece uh, of uh, evolution, our evolution here was basically the realization that, as I mentioned earlier, that, that fasting is pretty undersupported um, from a product standpoint. Um, and, you know, as fasters ourselves, uh, myself and my, my co-founder, Vincent, uh, we wanted products that, that were synergistic with that lifestyle. So we chose MCT as the base of our Add to Coffee product. MCT is a, a healthy fat that is ketogenic. Um, so it just it basically uh, allows the body to, to burn more fat more quickly. Um, and then uh, the supplement stack is delivered on that base of MCT. Um, and of course, it's all delicious and tasty so that your coffee ritual is upgraded really holistically. 
Are you ready for an episode that will leave you inspired and motivated? Then get ready for this clip from episode 21, Coming to Life with Iron Man and Guinness World Record holder, Thomas Island. Join me for a conversation with Tom Island, an Iron Man and Guinness World Record holder. Tom's dedication to overcoming obstacles is awe-inspiring. As a coach and mentor for the neurodivergent community, he shares how he uses his experiences to empower and inspire others to reach their true potential. I, I talk about this a lot with with my own coaching clients and just like a deeper why. And I think, you know, like what you just explained is like a beautiful example of that. Not just it's it's for your own personal aspirations, but there's something bigger there for, as you mentioned, for people, your peers in your community and and, you know, especially for people like you mentioned, um, you know, who who are on the autistic spectrum, who are constantly or often told no and you can't and they face setbacks and are maybe led to believe that like well you know that first failure well that's it then like don't try again and and again and again i think so many people like regardless of their their abilities but yeah i mean gosh (laughs) and i see it a lot with my clients particularly as they're looking for love or a girlfriend but they maybe a little socially awkward or they haven't found someone who's willing and able to accept them as they are and be patient with them through their difficult times or through a job search. They get a job or they get fired and then it's like, oh, that's it. I'm done. That was all I've got. Or, or even, get, even getting past the interview process, it's, it's daunting for people with autism to sit down, answer questions, draw upon relevant experience if they don't have any to begin with, or if they did fail, discuss what they learn and how they bounce back and become better for it. They're not making that connection or explaining what they've learned. And recruiters are like, yeah, next. So that's what I think our, again, what peers on and off the autism spectrum need to see that they will have failures. They will get fired. They will have to quit a job sometimes. They may get rejected, but that's all leading them towards something better. Think it, and it can be difficult to see what hasn't happened yet or to envision what is to come. But by having hope that better times are ahead, that you can make the change towards something better, that can lead to much better outcomes. And I think it's really a little bit of an injustice or a disservice for some people on the autism spectrum in particular that have college degrees. Like I know one young man who got an engineering degree, but because of his social difficulties, he had to sell for stocking boxes at a Walmart. That's the only job he could get. And do you think someone with an engineering degree should be stocking boxes at a Walmart? I don't think so either. And thankfully, he did join an organization that did find use of his engineering degree, and he went on to get a job as a computer numerical control machinist. And so there are so many skills, so many qualified individuals, again, on off the autism spectrum that have degrees, but for whatever reason, employers are not seeing those gifts or the potential and the possibilities of what people on the autism spectrum in particular can bring to the table. They just see someone who can't look them in the eye or doesn't know how to answer questions or just wants to talk about Star Wars all day or something. They see the problems and the perils instead of the potential and the possibilities. So I'm actually working with an organization called the Uniquely Abled Project, I'm on their board to show employers that people with autism have something to offer your organization. They love working with computers. They can do mundane tasks. They're very detail-oriented, as these CNC machine jobs often are. So these 
are the candidates that will help you and your clients? I think the word that comes to mind is, is empathy, right? And just seeing the common humanity, right? Seeing individuals uh, as <laughs> human beings who have, uh, you know, hopes and dreams and challenges and, and, but different abilities and, and gifts and, and everything else like that. So Very much so. And that, that's actually something that the Uniquely Abled Project really focuses on. The words we use to describe somebody with a diagnosis. You could say someone has a disability. An employer hears that. They're thinking oh, this conversation just became about charity. Or, this person's a charity case. Whereas if you say, I know someone who has some unique abilities or they're uniquely abled. And the employer would say, oh, uniquely abled. Uh, tell me more about that. So they're more turned on, if you will, by someone with unique abilities or someone who's uniquely abled. So the mission or the underlying uh, wish, if you will, of the Uniquely Abled Project is to do away with terms like disability and make conversations less about charity and more about change. Because your organization can and will change for the better when uniquely abled individuals are put to work. And that's going to make for better outcomes all around. So. Being mindful of the words that we use to describe ourselves and others, I think is going to make a huge difference. And I'll quickly touch on my own personal preference uh, as to language. So I say I am on the autism spectrum, or I'm a person with autism, or I have autism. This is called person-first language. I, I see myself as a living, breathing human being, first and foremost, and my diagnosis is further down the road. I have so much going for me, like I am a man, I am a son, I am a brother, I am a nephew, I am an uncle, I am a speaker, I am a coach, I am an author, I am an Iron Man, I am all these things. Oh, and I just happen to be on the autism spectrum. That's person-first language. Then there's identity-first language. People who say, I'm autistic, or I'm an autistic. Those that want to make, or, or choose to make their diagnosis a huge part of their identity and kind of lead with it. Whereas I believe that if we want to be acknowledged and accepted by humanity. We must first acknowledge and accept our own humanity. And if you lead with you saying you're autistic, you kind of diminish or dismiss your own humanity or your own, that you are a person and that you have something to offer. You are part of the human race. So that's why I choose, as unpopular as my point of view may be, I choose to say I'm a person first with autism, a distant second or even further than second down the line. All right, let's wrap up this powerhouse of inspiration with a deep dive into supplements for performance, health, and longevity. In episode 11 of the Performance Rx podcast, Christina Hackett, a pharmacist passionate about preventative and holistic medicine, discusses supplements for health, performance, and longevity. Get ready to learn all the details and research about supplements that contribute to both performance and a long and healthy life. Let's start off with creatine. So I, I brought this one up just because one, it's one of the most well-researched sports supplements out there, but it became popular like in the nineties or whatever. And it, people have just done loads and loads of research and the research shows that it has quite a bit of efficacy when it comes to performance and also other research that I've seen. And you can probably explain a little bit more, but it does link into that anti-aging and, and even just, I think, like cognitive function. The reason why I'm bringing it up, even though it is so well-researched and so popular, I still feel like there is some sort of stigma or misconception around it, especially for women. I remember that was that was kind of the misconception early on is like, oh, it's 
like a steroid and you're going to blow up like a like a like a bodybuilder and that's not necessarily true yeah so i guess speaking of creatine you know you know how does it help in, in regards to performance and then also like what are some of the health benefits you know side effects and we can talk about dosage and everything else like yeah. that too so creatine is i mean there's like more than 500 published studies about it it's really well researched um it exists in our body naturally it's produced in your kidneys and your liver from three amino acids, which are glycine, methionine, and arginine. And those are amino acids that we typically get in meat. Glycine is more in connective tissue, like car- collagen. Um, supplemental creatine aids your ability to perform strength and power-based activities. So it's really like that first couple second or so. Um, so in my mind, I kind of think of it more like, like a powerlifting um, like a one rep max, that's where you're going to get the benefit kind of from creatine. Um, and yeah, so there's a few different forms. And from everything that I know, creatine monohydrate, you just, that's the cheapest one. And that's the one that's been researched the best. There's no reason to get a different one that's more expensive because it hasn't been shown to be any better. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's something to point out too, because creatine monohydrate, I mean, I have a, a container in my cabinet right now. It's like 120 servings. I mean, like that's like if I took it every day, which I should take it every day, it would last me like what, four months there. And I think it cost me 30 bucks. And yeah, there's there are other forms of, of creatine there. And I feel like supplement companies just kind of throw it in just to sound fancy and things like that. But it's like you pointed out, and I agree with the research, like it's not any more effective and you're just... I think that's the, the criticism that, that people have of supplements too, is like, you're, you're wasting money, you're getting expense, you know, you're just paying for expensive pee. Yeah. With some supplements, that's possible, but I think with creatine, it's been pretty well shown and it's not a steroid. So I was wondering when you said, oh, it's kind of controversial for women. I thought it is. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know that. I mean, I, and maybe this is, so my experience, like I said, this is like, gosh, <laughs> I guess a little less than 20 years, like let's say like 18 years now, um, I was taking it to, to go to the gym and my, my roommate, it's interesting because she worked in cardiac rehab, which creatine I feel like can help with that like cardiac function there. But she was just like, she's like, Oh, just be careful using that. You're going to get like really like blown up and bloated, like a, like a bodybuilder. And I was just like, Oh, uh, okay. And <laughs> and I think, it, and, and you do retain water, like you said, it, you know, it, it comes, it, you know, it does like affect the kidney function and everything else like that. But I think the, the old protocol used to be that you would take 10 grams of creatine for like one to two weeks as kind of like a loading phase. And so that's something that's been, um, yeah. I don't want to say debunked, but just kind of deemed unnecessary. Like you don't have to go through the, I mean, if people want to go through a loading phase, that's fine. Like be careful with your stomach because it can yeah. mess it up. A li- it can be a little rough, but if you don't want to, or if it does affect, you know, if it does upset your stomach, like just doing the normal, like five grams of creatine daily is more than enough. And I, I think as far as like water retention or bloating or whatever you want to call it, like maybe it's there and maybe, but I, I don't think it's, it's as severe as people had said. Yeah. And I think you, you do kind of start to retain water when you first start taking it, but over time it's, everything just equalizes out. And the whole loading phase thing, I think you do get more in your muscles if you do want to load for some reason, but there's that benefit goes away after about three weeks. So after three weeks of taking a regular dose, you're at the same level as someone who loaded 
for five days or whatever. So I would say, unless you have some crazy reason to want it all in your muscles within five days, just start, you know, four or five grams once a day. And, and, and speaking of like that dosage of like five grams and everything. So you brought up in the beginning, you know, so creatine is, it's an amino acid. It exists naturally in our body, exists naturally in, in meats there. But, um, I had heard this on, on another podcast, they brought up the fact. So going back to like that argument of like, oh, just get these, these supplements or these, um, amino acids from your food, you would have to eat a bunch of meat to actually get the, I think it was something like there was like a pound. I think, I think it's one gram of creatine per pound of red meat or something like that. So in other words, you would, so in order to get that five grams of creatine, you would have to eat five pounds of meat every day. And so that's, that's the other thing too. That would be interesting (laughs) to try and do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the liver King and all the, uh, the carnivore diet bros would, would be, would be living for that right now. But (laughs) so, so we talked a lot about the, the performance side, any, any other sort of like, I guess, health benefits or like you said, anti-aging. Yeah. So I haven't been taking creatine for that long, but the reason why I started was, um, there's a doctor named Dr. Stephen Gundry, who's a big anti-aging guy. And I kind of have in my mind, like a list of supplements I think everyone should take. Um, most of them are on this list too, but one, he listed his and he had creatine on there. And I thought creatine for everybody really. And he said, yeah, especially as you age, um, cause sarcopenia, which is muscle wasting is a real thing as people get older. And he thinks that a lot of it can be prevented. Obviously you have to keep lifting weights and stuff, but just taking creatine as you get older will preserve your muscle mass. And that's huge for like function as you get older. Um, so unless you have like major kidney problems, that might be a reason to be cautious about creatine. Um, but other than that, it doesn't, the only side effects that I could find were from people in the loading phase getting like stomach cramps and stuff because they're taking like 30 grams a day or something. <laughs> yeah. So it's a really, uh, I like to think of supplements um, to bring up Dave Asprey again, but I know he talks about thinking of it as an investment. And so you want to get your ROI, your return on investment. And so I think creatine is a great one, but it's cheap. It's, you know, easily produced. You don't have to find some crazy manufacturer. You can get it from almost anywhere and it's easy. And it's, you know, something that has really high benefits. So I think a lot of people, if you haven't thought of taking creatine before, it's something to consider adding. And something else I found when I was looking up specifically for women, it said that there were some studies that showed that it's actually neuroprotective, especially in women. And they've done some studies where it helps with like mood. Um, So I thought that was interesting. But there's a little bit of difference in the amount of creatine in muscles in males versus females. Females actually have a little bit more of a high concentration, but their muscle mass is usually a little bit lower. So it kind of balances out, but that might be why some women don't see as big of a gain from it as men do. Um, But then it also showed in some studies that said increasing creatine concentrations in the brain as a result of supplementation, particularly in females, supports benefits of reducing symptoms of depression and ameliorating side effects of traumatic brain injury. So, but that was shown in, in women and not men, but something about having enough creatine helps your brain reduce symptoms of depression. 
And there you have it, another hand-picked selection of episodes that resonate with the heart and soul of dedicated fitness enthusiasts and athletes. Whether you're seeking confidence, leveling up your game, exploring fasting, finding inspiration, or optimizing your health, this best of episode is your guide. Remember, your journey is unique and these episodes are here to accompany you. Hit that subscribe button, share these insights with your fellow enthusiasts, and let's continue this amazing journey of health and performance together. Until next time, stay dedicated, stay inspired, and keep elevating your performance. Hey, really quick before you go, I need you to do one thing for me. If there was something in this episode that you think would be of value to someone else, please share it for me. My goal is to empower as many people as possible on their health and fitness journeys. And one of the best ways to do it is to share awesome information like what you heard in today's episode out with many others. So do me a favor, copy and paste that link, send it to one of your friends, your family, or anyone who you think would get some enjoyment and value out of this. I appreciate you for listening. I'll see you next time.